0: let's get started. Today's topic concerns refugees and when you think about refugees you're thinking out some of the most vulnerable people in the world. Uh, These are people who are fleeing persecution and have a well-founded fear of persecution. Thank you. Um, What is the definition of persecution? We've got nobody on this side of the room. It's better that way. Make it for
1: you to okay, so what is, what is the definition of
0: persecution in the book, in the chapter? Who's done who's reading the reading? Yes. Oh, I, don't, I don't remember the definition. At all. What do you think it means? Um, I
1: don't have the thought right now. Anybody? I think it means some, uh I guess out of uh, Targeting somebody based upon their religion or something. That's
0: very warm. Persecution right. is targeting in what way?
1: Like, like negatively, um, like versus
0: prosecution is about a law, persecution
1: would be a It's about a crime, crime, not a law. I mean, yeah, a crime, right?
0: Persecution is usually a crime, but that, that's not a definition of persecution. Nobody knows? Mm-hmm. Nobody did the reading? Hate to keep saying that. Yeah, no.
1: it not like an accusation, an accusation?
0: No. There's nothing to do with hate and discrimination. Uh, that could be a form of it, but typically persecution involves violence. Okay. It violence against it's someone only
1: because of their, uh, religion group or what they worship or- it's usually
0: on the basis of one of those categories, but it could be just because there is no category, just I I I've, I'm going after you because I hate you as an individual. But more typically, it does involve religion, race, ethnicity, sexual preference, or one of those categories. Uh, but the key is that it has to be politically motivated. does not write too well. But by politically motivated, I mean I'm going after you because you're my political rival and I'm going to beat you up. Okay. You don't fit into a, one of those typical racial, ethnical, religious categories. You're just my rival. So that would also be political persecution. And I'm doing it because we both want to be mayor. Yeah. Um,
1: doesn't it have to have to have violence, like bodily harm? Or kind of? you have to make a strike against someone? I mean, it, it, could, it typically
0: is physical violence, but suppose it's psychological. Suppose all I do is I put you in a room and tie up your hands above your head. And make you stand for twenty hours. There's no physical signs. No one beats you, but, but you know.
1: Isn't the tying up still a form of physical harm.
0: Well, you can say that you know, there's a, a lot of overlap between physical and psychological torture, or or, or even ph- psychological violence, can lead to physical pain. Right. If I've got, if I'm hung up like this for twelve hours, I suspect, certain things are going to ache after a while. But it's, you know, a lot of it's just I hate being here. I, I'm trapped. I'm. I'm or let's just say someone puts you in a room, and you can sit down, and there's even a chair. But the room is like this, and you're in solitary confinement. Okay, I'm sure there are physical manifestations, psychosomatic consequences of being put in solitary confinement. It's still persecution, if, if, even if it's 90 percent psychological harm. And you know the long-term consequences of psychological problems are like any mental illness; that it's going to be physical manifestations, right? If you're if you have, suffer from mental illness, you probably can't take care of yourself, right? And you you probably your vulnerable your your uh, resistance is down. Is that what you wear in game day? That's interesting. Okay. See, what time's the scrimmage?
1: Seven thirty. Seven
0: thirty. What time do you got to be in the locker room?
1: We'll right this
0: time. After this class. Okay. Good luck. Have fun. Okay. Um, so. When we say it's political, that means other forms of discrimination may not strictly be political, but we if it's discrimination, it's probably going to be political and can be persecution without violence. Um, however, the line between political persecution that qualifies you for a refugee and other kinds of pers- persecution is hard to draw, but typically, If you're economically discriminated against and you have trouble making a living and you you leave your country to get a better life, that's not grounds for being a refugee or asylee. Why? Because the Refugee Convention of 1951 defines a refugee the way it's defined in the text. And and who can read that to me? Again, nobody did the reading? Definition of in the refugee condition is someone who has a well founded fear of persecution. Persecution, again, is not defined in the treaty, but we're, the way it's been come to, to be mean is political persecution, often involving physical violence, but could be just psychological harm. And the it, and it, way it's come to be defined is not to include people who leave your country just because you're poor. Now, if the government has singled your group out. To deny you access to the market, you know you're not allowed. You're not allowed to, to to be farmers in this country. Then that would be a political cause of the economic hardship, and you could probably make the case in most countries that you qualify for refugee status. Uh, now, the Refugee Convention was in 1951 was just for Europe after World War II. 1967, the protocol extended it to the entire world. So what, what relief do you get under the protocol if you can prove persecution?
1: Asylum.
0: Yes, that's right. The, one of two remedies is asylum. What's the difference between asylum? Uh, what's the definition of asylum? Um,
1: well founded fear of the empire. No, that's, the, that's to qualify. What, what is the, re- oh. asylum
0: is a, ref, a remedy for political persecution. What is that remedy? No? Well, when you said a different country, yes. I said no before you finished. I saw it. Yeah, Yeah, so when you apply for political asylum, where do you have to be? To apply for political asylum, where do you have to be? You have to have a well-founded fear. Could you put that away, please? You have to have a well-founded fear of persecution and you have to be outside of your own country. Because as a treaty, it only applies to people who are outside your own government. And there's t- an obligation of all the state <coughs> parties. Approximately 170 countries out of 193 in the world have ratified it. And if you are outside your own country, and you apply for asylum, and you've proved you have well-founded fear of persecution, any country that's a state party to the protocol must grant you the right to stay so long as you have a well-founded fear of persecution. By implication, if the the reasons for your well-founded fear of persecution go away, then they no longer have to allow you to stay. In fact, they could deport you if you can show that you no longer have a well-founded fear of persecution. In practice, most countries, they grant you asylum. You're a good person. You live for five years. Then you go through the citizenship process, and you can stay for the rest of your life. But the asylum remedy is not permanent residence, even though it might lead to that. What's the other remedy for persecution? Well, if asylum is when you're outside the country, what's the other? What would be the context for the other remedy? Other people
1: going in. Other the people
0: going into the country. Uh, that's very good guess. Very good guess, um, but not the right answer. So, if, if you get asylum when you if you're able to get fortunate enough to get out of your country. And, and, and apply for asylum in another country, you get asylum. The other remedy is to apply to be a refugee. A refugee is someone who applies to a foreign consulate or the UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, which has offices in all the countries that are state parties, that is most countries of the world, and you apply to become a refugee. If you apply to be a refugee, <clears throat> No government is required to let you come in from your own country. It's completely voluntary. It's unfortunate because the treaty probably should have uh, provisions for, if someone qualifies as a refugee inside their own country, then you're required to take the person. But there is no such right. And proposals to amend the protocol to the Refugee Convention have gone nowhere, and the book explains why. Does anyone know from the reading? The reason is people are afraid that most of the political pressure in the world has been to do the opposite, to give fewer remedies. Isn't there a lot of xenophobia around the world? People don't want people coming in. They're suspicious that a lot of people getting political asylum are not really deserving of asylum because they're just saying they make the whole thing up. In fact, it's really hard, depends on the country, depends on the state in the United States. To give examples from the reading, in Scandinavia, 90% of those who apply for asylum get it. In Greece, 2% get it. In the United States and California, 75% of the people who apply for asylum get it. In Georgia, 9% get it. It's even lower in the Carolinas. So very few people. In Georgia, basically, if you're not unless you're coming from a country that's an enemy of the United States, they don't give it to you. They just don't believe anybody in the witness stand, or at least that's the basis for denial. They don't. You haven't proven that you have a well-founded fear of persecution. So the real problem, I think, most people would say, is that you just can't prove it, right? You left because they're going to kill you. Did you have any identity f- papers with you? No. You left because th- they found someone told you to get out of town now. Don't go home. Just go. So <clears throat> one of the bi- first things you got to prove in, in immigration court, if you go to a trial and you want to. These are public trials, you can go any time of the day at, during the week to the ICE headquarters, which was within Department of Homeland Security, right next to the jail, right next to the S-1 stop in the MARTA, and they'll just say, proof, proof that you're saying who you say you are. If you don't have any identity papers, if you don't have uh, any proof of the incident that you allege happened, like the attack, you're out of luck. That's the way it works in Georgia. Whereas in California, they're more likely to say, In federal court out there, in immigration court, um, you know, you bring a couple of friends, they verify the story. Um, If you're lucky, you get a lawyer who's really good and the lawyer will say, uh, we should listen, And, and nothing that this person has said is inconsistent with the historical records. You describe a long story of events and you know that precisely when they're telling the story is when the government was cracking down on this particular ethnic group. Like the Kurds being cracked down in Iran or uh, the Haitian dictators beating up opponents of the regime and so forth. But you know, So you have unequal rates of acceptance for asylum and so forth. Now, refugee status, again, they're one of two ways. If you're inside your own country, you can't get out. Why can't you get out? Well, you got no money, or uh, you're living on an island country, or you're in one part of the country and it's 2,000 miles to the border and, and you're in the warm part of the country and the border's in the cold part of the country. Or the country next door kills anybody who crosses the border. They may not kill you the moment you get across, but as soon as they catch you, they kill you. Or you don't know where to go. You, know, you haven't heard through a grapevine that there are people and your friends and family overseas that could help you get a job, help you survive. So when you, when you apply for refugee status, what you do is you typically go to the capital city, and you go to any foreign embassy and say, I need I want to apply for refugee status will you give me refugee status if the government does it then they will do voluntary refugee resettlement and what you'll do is come to a refugee resettlement agency in the United States that has agreed to host you in any one of the major cities of the country and then they'll give you 12-week seminar and they'll invite someone from Georgia State in the Clarkston office for example Refugee and Family Services, the Catholic Relief, the International Rescue Committee, or any of these places that would love to have you as an intern. So one possibility for an intern for the summer or the fall or any time is call me, I'll set you up, and you'll work with refugee families on saying, what's it like to go from a war zone to Atlanta? You know, and you know, For someone who's going through a post-traumatic stress, half of your problem is just getting them to try to calm them down that they're going to be all right here. And then a lot of it's just normal things like how do you get to go to school? How do you get a job? Um, how do you get to the MARTA, How do you do a budget? Where do you buy your food? How do you keep your you know these people are from one type of country they're not even used to, a lot of these people have never seen elect- electricity before so how does a, how does a clock work? You know all these things you've been doing with your phones right? You know they learn fast but you know you show them on your your iPhone since all of you have iPhones right? Okay. Yeah. And then you know. And you say, well, you start off with an iPad Touch, or whatever they're called. IPod. iPod Touch and iPad, right? But they work on the same operating system. Right. You got them both.
1: Not yet. I going to get an iPad too soon as possible.
0: As soon as possible. Tell me, why is it people like an iPad? You got to hold it. If you got a laptop, you don't have to hold it.
1: You got to stand for it. You got to stand,
0: okay. say so you're going to be teaching me someday I'm going to be sitting here and you're going to be my teacher
1: <laughs>
0: you hope not yeah. why you want to do better than a teacher
1: <laughs> I mean <laughs> like, not just to say it like that but you know teaching is below where you want to be yeah but I mean it's a good job don't get it <laughs> <laughs> no I'm not saying it's not I mean my, my mom is a teacher so, but, well you better not tell her that yeah, but she, I mean, she oh, she
0: told you to get out of teaching. Yeah,
1: and I don't go into that. Even though I think I probably would do all right.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I think you'd do all right. Um, you have a way with words.
1: <laughs> 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 Take that a good way.
0: Yeah. All right, so what did I just teach you? What is, what is, how do you qualify to be a refugee? Go
1: to the embassy.
0: And what's the other option? No, no, it, to apply to be a refugee. The other option to the court, is to apply to the office of the UNHCR, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. Mm-hmm. So if you get out of the country, you apply for asylum. If you're in your own country and you want someone to take you, you beg and plead to either the any embassy that you can, they'll let you go to the consular office. You meet a consular officer. Some of you might want to take the Foreign Service exam, work for the U.S. Diplomatic Corps. Everyone must do at least one tour as a consular officer. You usually, do it at the start to get it over with. Uh, if you want to be an economic officer or a political officer, then you have the more fancy diplomatic career.
1: What is the um, um, refugee application process
0: for the UN? More like than There, it's e- it's much easier to get an appointment with UNHCR because they're in the business of dealing with people who want to get refugee status. But UNHCR is not in every country, because as I mentioned, about 25 countries out of 193 have never ratified the convention. So if you're in one of those minority of countries, then you're, you may be out of luck. And you know most countries don't want to take refugees, because most countries that are fairly wealthy have so many people that want to get into the country. If you ever go to Manila, or Port-au-Prince, or Karachi, even in Pakistan, where they hate the United States, you go to Karachi and you look at the list, the line outside the consulate, every morning there's 600 to 1,000 people waiting in line before it opens. It's begging, claiming anything, give me a visa, give me refugee status. But the problem about getting refugee status is the government fixes the number of refugees they're going to take voluntarily every year. And it's been decreasing. 15 years ago during the wars of Yugoslavia and the Rwanda conflict, the United States was taking 100,000 refugees a year and resettling them. So Clarkston, which is where all these agencies are located, three quarters of the people there were born in another country in a war zone. Now the United States takes a, most a third of that number every year, and so Clarkston has far fewer foreigners um, who are escaping war zones as, who have been resettled largely, largely in the Clarkston area, which makes you know, Clarkston a very interesting place to live because you see all these people, it's very multicultural, um, but it's, it's mostly people from war zones, not people who try to immigrate other parts of town. I think Buckhead gets more Latin Americans and Asians. If you go up to Buford Highway, the southern part, before you get to Chambly Tucker, mostly Latin Americans, some Chinese, and then above it, it's almost all Asian, East Asians in particular. South Asians are in DeKalb Industrial Boulevard. So those people all come, they are basically economic migrants, and they basically get visas. Uh, if they're from south of the border, they might sneak in. And if they don't get in trouble with the law, they can live there happily ever after, assuming our politics don't change.
1: Is the,
0: when the economy's going well, employers want workers. When the economy's going bad, then the politics are always to blame all our problems on the foreigners, and they start restricting illegal immigration.
1: Does it constantly determine where they live, and that's why they all end up...
0: They just, they just, Immigrants naturally live in communities of their friends who speak the same language. Because a lot of these people don't speak English when they get here, so they go live with their friends. I went to certain, before they tore all those Latino, na- na- Mexican neighborhoods down near Lindborg, when they first they re- redeveloped the Martis stop with office buildings and then they created that big mall by Lindbergh. Those used to be low income housing, $100 a month for three bedrooms. And I had a Mexican friend who, who worked in a, Burger King, and I got to know him because we got to talking. He had me, invited me over for dinner, and his daughter fell off the bal- balcony and, and at one years old almost died because these shabby places are built so poor. The reason, you get what you pay for, right? So, um, Isn't there still some
1: kind of... There's a
0: couple of these left, but most of those have been torn down and been redeveloped. Like but isn't there some kind of Home housing Depot.
1: they have to have certain... Have oh, the vehicles? law is
0: that you know you've got to provide minimum housing code, but... You know, they, they don't enforce the law. Well, I but they're not legal too. Some of them I'm sure wouldn't be legal.
1: I'm sure they wouldn't want to force anything. Well, they're not gonna
0: force the issue to complain because they're right. there illegally. But remember, it's not a crime to be here illegally. It's merely illegal. What's the difference? We've talked about this. What's the difference between something being illegal and something being criminal? They're both documented. No one knows the difference between one something that's merely I, illegal? If, if, if I, um, we make a contract and, and I, agree, I paint your house and you agree to pay me $100, and you don't pay me, is that an illegal act or a criminal act? Illegal. Illegal act. Is it a criminal act? Can you go to prison for that? No.
1: If you don't have a, I mean, if you have a. Um, that's $100. It's I mean, not the amount of money. Oh. No, it's. it's you have a written contract then you can if you don't follow through and
0: you're in the contract. Is that a crime or is that merely illegal? It
1: depends on if
0: you have a contract. No. Contract is merely evidence. <laughs>
1: Wasn't evidence all it takes? I mean,
0: it's not a crime. It's only illegal. What make what make it a crime is if you are, you are you deliberately defrauded the person and then the crime is the fraud. It's not the non payment. Breach of ca- contract is an illegal act. Involving private law, you made a contract with me. You didn't pay me. You, uh, ha- you are ordered by the court to pay me, and maybe there might be some additional fines that you pay me additional. You know, to to to, to warn other people that you're not only the penalty will be more than not paying more than you owe. You might usually typically have to pay three times. So I get pain and suffering three times, and other people know that they'll be paying. They risk having to have to pay three times, but the a crime is the fine would be paid to the government. That would be a misdemeanor, not a felony. But if you pay, if you're ordered to pay me, that's just a private civil lawsuit. So why do, why isn't it a, why hasn't the Congress made it a crime to be an illegal il- alien? Why is it merely illegal? You, you will not go to prison. You don't have to pay a fine for sneaking into the United States. That's possible. That's plausible. I don't. I think that's the technical answer, but that's contributing, I would say. That's a good guess. Why don't we make it a crime? Any state could make it a state crime. No state, and no and the federal government has not made it a crime to be an illegal immigrant. Why not? Because
1: You can't call it a crime if people are just trying to escape from really a terrible situation. That's
0: a very good guess, but not stated a little bit differently. You don't wanna make it criminal for people who are fleeing political persecution to try, to come in the United States because the United States has promised and ratified the treaty that anyone who is fleeing political persecution uh, has a right to be here or any other country. So it's not a crime. Therefore, what's so controversial about the fact that Cobb County and Gwinnett County have signed an agreement with the Department of Homeland Security under Statute 287G is that they can put you in jail in Gwinnett and Cobb, and not in any other county, by the way, in Georgia, for being an illegal immigrant. But all they're doing, actually, is they are, they're putting you in jail, but it's not supposed to be a crime. Therefore, you're not being punished pending a criminal prosecution. You're being held in detention pending an immigration hearing. Now, I don't know if you've ever spent been to a jail, either as a visitor or as an inmate, I've been as a visitor, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you may have, and I've never been to a. Pri- I've been to jails and prisons in foreign countries because doing human rights work. But in, you know, basically, what's worse in the United States, a prison or a jail? jail. First of all, what's the prison. difference? Prison. 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 Jail is like prison. Jail is less. Yeah, like less
1: than a year, and prison, yeah. is, prison long is long term. term. Right.
0: Jail ironic. is a year or less as a punishment or pri- pre-trial detention if you don't get bail. And, don't and which is enough? worse?
1: Jail. Prison. Do you know from
0: experience? I want to ask you to
1: say Jail. Jail is much
0: worse. It's ironic. It's unfair. It's unjust. Why is jail worse? Yeah. Because when you get convicted, you're entitled to your own room. In jail, you're stuck with 40 people and you know, and you can't sleep because you don't, are they gonna, this guy's just been arrested for, for murder and he's, he's two feet from you with 30 feet, other people in there. You don't want to be in ACDC overnight. Don't get arrested. Because the worst day is gonna be the first night when you're in there with you don't know who. That's awful. And if you don't get bail, you're in there for weeks or months. You could be in there for a year. You could be in jail for a year with forty people, different criminals, well, they don't have rapists, mass murderers, or whoever it is. And if you don't make bail, you're stuck in there. You think that's bu- in prison, you're 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 lonely, but you're safe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you're in there for a long time. I think that's worse. Yeah. You could in be in. addition in, to also yeah, having experiences with rapists, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. but rapists are with rapists, from what the I. The rapists could be going after you.
0: I'm not fun- joking. This is no joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the other thing is, who's guarding? Nobody's guarding, right? There's one guy at four o'clock in the morning. You think they're going to be protecting you?
1: <laughs> I, was I, don't, I wasn't making light of that situation well, know, at all. But we, my and they have
0: prison rape of males all the time. <laughs> my, my
1: cousin was in a, He went to jail. I think for, for, for overnight. He was. He was. He had like a DUI. He went to jail overnight. Shh. But he went to jail overnight, and we, when we went to pick him up the next morning, um, it had a child molester, a guy that was convicted of child molesting, um, or not convicted, he was charged with child molesting, and the guard had, like, hit the bars like and, like, called out what he was convicted or what he was charged with and left, and there were three or four people. Beat him up? Huge guys. And they beat him up, dads. right? Yeah and they, he, he was sitting in the hospital, I mean, he was in critical condition, yeah. and uh, they just left him in there. He got raped, it was bad. I mean, my cousin was there when it happened, he saw everything. Wait, it raped they raped him? Yes, they raped him. And I mean, my cousin was sitting in the jail cell. Now, they, didn't they didn't touch him, he was over in the corner, but he saw everything. He said it was awful, and he was in jail. So, I mean, I didn't That's know. how people
0: get AIDS, cause the guy's on drugs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't trying to make light of it at all, I was trying, this is really,
1: that's how child molesters get what they really deserve. Mm. I know for real. Please don't
0: hands. say that. <laughs>
1: okay. Nobody deserves that. I I, like that. <laughs> I,
0: I disagree. they come to process. I, I I think
1: they deserve it, but that's just not true. But how about due process of law? I I just think that an eye for an eye. Sometimes there are scum of the earth that you deserve. You should
0: have been a Muslim because in Sharia law you get forty <laughs> lashes. <laughs> okay. You get forty lashes. The punishment's over in half an hour, and you'll never forget it.
1: No, can't you also, like, kill your daughter? If
0: she, um... No, it's not, that's not Sharia law. That's tradition. That's called honor killing. If you went to class last night, you could can... But you can listen to the lecture.
1: I will. Um, I, I'm not saying, I do think the process of law is, is relevant, but I think sometimes some people just do deserve to get it a little bit more than others.
0: Well, that's why punishments are at the discretion of the judge.
1: The justice system doesn't always catch everything. We have a very flawed justice well, the judge, judgment s- justice the system
0: thing. is extremely flawed, and, and, and a lot of innocent people get convicted yeah, too. As well
1: as a lot of guilty people can get, 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 off. get, of get off. So, I mean, I, I agree it's flawed. In I mean, ways. I don't know about
0: you, but what do you think yesterday's decision was an injustice? You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. The steroids case? Oh. I, I mean, in the trial, it was no question he took steroids, that was a given. Nobody contested that. It was a, the only decision is whether or not he knew about it, and he convinced, he convinced the jurors that he didn't know. that, he, was on that he, he thought it was just medicine. I mean How did his body get this big?? <laughs> I mean, when I was in high school in the '60s, everybody was lifting weights. I mean, they had the machines. They did, it wasn't just free weights. They were lifting weights for football. When I was a kid, the largest guy in the NFL, with one exception, Sherman Plunkett, was 250. Wow. Now you can't even be a lineman if you're not 310. Unless, unless you're a defensive end and you're fast, right? A few defensive ends are 290. Anybody, 260 you, it was the, the heaviest guy in the NFL. Now the running backs are 260. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I mean, I know that, that things have improved, but I gotta be very suspicious of the NFL. And, you know, you guys play it's in the all danger. sports too, though. What's that?
1: It's with all sports too, now, There's, everything's
0: Look, The golfers, I mean, the, te- the golf clubs are, are better, but the longest driver when I was a kid was 260. Now the women hit
1: 350. It's a little What's that? <laughs> 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 what is it? Those little balance pranks. Like, I was kidding. Oh. They came out and were like, sorry, they're not really us." And they're like 30 bucks, those little, you know, little fighting things. The, no, the, not what okay. that What is That injects <laughs> human growth hormone into no. your wrist? No. No. It's not steroids. It's just like a balance. of well, human growth hormones aren't steroids either. It's, either. A it's a publicity so like stunt. It's weather just weather a way for you to spend your money in waste. Yeah. yeah. They made a lot of money. Yeah, they did. For the first six I months. bought one for my brother for
0: Christmas, and then like a month later they were like, oh yeah, they're not really, sorry. You got us, like, mm-hmm. and yeah. Okay, a couple other key concepts to understand how the system doesn't work and does work. First of all, the UNHCR gets heavily criticized in the reading. Anyone know what some of the criticisms were? Or should we just forget asking questions about the reading? <laughs> I want to encourage you to read.
1: Just a little bit.
0: Um, one of the criticisms is what? The refugees get put into the refugee camps on the other side of the border, and what? tent camps
1: that they're
0: in. Well, they're not necessarily tents. They can be, in the case of the Palestinians, concrete homes. But the Palestinians have been in the refugee camps since 1948. That's 62 years. Well, how does this happen? It happens because the government makes a deal. The UNHCR says, Will you take refugees? Um, I guess I have to, but I'll only let them if they come into camp, because my only obligation is to let them have refuge from persecution. So they can go to the camp, you run the camp, but they can't get out. Can't get out of the camp. Because the refugee convention doesn't say, and they have all human rights. So one of the criticisms is their human rights are denied because even though the convention is part of international law generally, and everyone is supposed to have human rights, they essentially put you into camp, you get your handouts, you can run a little business in there, but you're only selling to the other refugees, and you're not making enough money to like, buy a house somewhere else. So in a lot of the poorest areas of the world, there's a war in a country, the government next door doesn't want all these refugees coming, but they're gonna come anyway. It's a lot easier for the government to say, hey, UNHCR, you build a camp, you're responsible for these people, they can't come out. And UNHCR says, well, I can build a camp and save their life, or I can say I will only build a camp if you let them also look for work in the country. And they say no, and then the people die. So what moral choice would you make facing that dilemma? If you're UNHCR, you say, okay, I'll build a camp and we'll try to figure out how they can get things better. Maybe the wars will stop in these adjoining countries and they can go back home when the war's over, right? Because they left because Everyone in this village is being killed because they're Tutsi and the Hutu warriors are coming through. Well, the genocide in Burundi was in the 80s, Hutus and the Tutsis. The genocide in Rwanda was 1994. Since 1994, they all went into Eastern Congo. They went into refugee camps. The Hutus who killed everybody, all the Tutsis, fled because the Tutsis, Rwandan Patriotic Front guerrilla force came in and defeated the Hutu government the Hutu refugees went into eastern Congo and lived in UNHCR camps where they started a war in eastern Congo. So from the late, middle to late 1990s, a war has occurred in eastern Congo that's killed 5 million people. So the genocide in Rwanda, which killed about 800,000 in a very small country, has now led to more Hutus and Tutsis being killed, which is the primary ethnic groups also in eastern Congo. Uh, because the war spilled over there. And the same thing in northern Sudan. Northern Sudan has the Lord's Resistance Army. Lord's Resistance Army has been fighting against the government of Uganda. They're getting defeated. They go into eastern Congo. They go into refugee camps. And they're bringing their ethnic groups in there. They're also fighting the war there. So if you can't establish safe camps, or the people get out of the camps, sometimes they don't go out to make a living. Sometimes the refugees are actually killers and soldier. So they can't kick them out of the camps to go home because the wars haven't stopped in a lot of these countries. The people who fled from Rwanda were Hutus who murdered all the Tutsis. They're scared to go back because they're murderers. Technically, if you have a well-founded fear of persecution because you persecuted somebody in the first place, you shouldn't be considered a refugee. But since the UNHCR said they're refugees because they were fleeing war in in Rwanda, they now qualify for refugee status, which means they can't be kicked out of Eastern Congo where they're killing all these people over there, just like they were killing them in Rwanda. So you can see how complicated this gets. And the blame is always placed on UNHCR. Why did you give them refugee status? Well, can you put that away, please? How does someone who's working for UNHCR know whether you are, a Hutu killer, or just somebody fleeing. I interview you, I don't even speak your language. Most people can't even tell the difference between a Hutu and a Tutsi just on the basis of looks. It's based on language, but if you don't speak either Hutu or Tutsi, you're not gonna know the difference. If you got enough people, you could hire people who serve as translators, and then you can interview 500,000 people, That's the number of people who fled Northern Uganda, Rwanda and Burundi to go into Eastern Congo. Then you got the problem that it's too, they're getting rich off the war. They have all of these scarce minerals. Anybody in here have an iPod or or a cell phone? Anyone not have one? 99% likelihood that a lot of the electronic materials came from Eastern Congo where they're smuggled out by these killers. Back in the 70s and 80s, you think a few people had gold necklaces or gold anything? they only, the 90% of the gold that women and men wore in the United States came from apartheid South Africa. Why did it take the United States so long to boycott apartheid in South Africa? Because women wanted and men wanted gold. A lot of diamonds come from there too, but almost all the gold. Wow. The gold you're wearing, if that's gold. It is. <laughs> you better not tell anyone. Well, this me. Give uh-huh. you, you give them a kick, and you know where? An <laughs> <laughs> Do you take in taken self defense class? I
1: don't want to say.
0: Oh, you got a certain don't spray can?
1: i <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anyway. Um, You know, I mean, this is what fuels that war right now. I mean, it's a combination of a lot of things that are perfect storm. But, you know, people all over the world want these electronics. The only scarce strategic mineral comes from the Eastern Congo, which is very, should be a rich country. They got all these minerals there, like copper. Most of the world's copper comes from the Congo. Back in the day, that was the only kind of wire that went into telephone wires. Now they use fiber optics and other things. Copper is not so valuable, but the stuff that goes, I don't know what it is inside all of these electronics, but the silicon, I think might be it, which goes in the semiconductors and the microprocessors that are used in almost all the electronics, comes from Eastern Congo. All right, now, any idea Have any idea what percentage of the people who immigrate into the United States are either asylees or refugees? That is, they either got refugee status and were voluntarily resettled in the United States, or they got their claim for asylum was honored in the United States. Any idea? That's about right. About three percent. What percentage of the people here illegally in the United States probably are really should have qualified but can't prove it? This is just a guess. Probably only 10%. And the reason is that most of the illegal people here are here for economic reasons. They're not here because they're escaping political persecution. So the large majority of people who are, have a well founded fear of persecution are located where? Inside their own countries. They're called IDPs, Internally Displaced Peoples, IDPs. It's discussed in the chapter. There are something like 50 million IDPs in the world. 50 million. Now, that's a small percentage of the world's population, but if you're an IDP and you don't have anyone taking care of you, it's a terrible situation. That's officially counted. The real number could be quadruple that. 200 million, but you know, that's still 200 million out of seven or eight billion people, it's a small percentage, but it's a lot of people who are completely helpless. And unlike refugees who can get into a refugee camp, the Refugee Convention does not provide any right to to live in a refugee camp inside a country. So what the UN has done has created principles that governments should provide so that internally displaced peoples can be helped. In addition there are another 50 to 100 million IDPs in the world who do not suffer political persecution but they are internally displaced. Why are they internally displaced? Why are they living in tents and in camps? Natural disasters. And that's right, natural disasters instead of human made disasters. Natural there are more people affected in the world by natural disasters by about a factor of 3 to 5 than are escaping war or other forms of persecution. Earthquakes, tsunamis, now nuclear fallout, but especially earthquakes, floods, um, and flooding not from tsunamis, but flooding from the rivers overflowing from too much rain. uh, That produces a good 400 million people a year. That's 400 million out of 6 billion. Now we're starting to talk a pretty healthy percentage of the world's population suffering natural disasters. And it tends to be, not like Japan, it tends to be the poorest countries of the world, every year they have flooding. They don't have earthquakes as often that are as devastating as the one in Haiti or the one in Chile, for example, or the one in Japan that set off the tsunami. The one in Japan was even worse than the one in Chile. The one in Chile was 50 times worse than the one in Haiti. But the one in Haiti caused much more damage. Two reasons why. If it was 8.7 on the Richter scale in Chile and 9.0 on the Richter scale in Japan and only 8.0 in Haiti, 8.7 apparently is 50 times 8. Why did it cause so much more damage in Haiti? Uh,
1: less Less what? Less, uh, I
0: guess,
1: infrastructure. That's right.
0: First of all, l- less infrastructure, and second, it was right in the middle it wasn't right in Port-au-Prince. It was actually in Leogane, just west of it. But they're very close to each other. The F- Fukushima plant was located. I don't know where the exact earthquake was prior to the tsunami, which caused the nuclear power plant. They got a tr- they got the trifecta. I guess people don't bet on horse races anymore, right? Mm-hmm. They have horse racing in Georgia.
1: You do it online? I mean, they don't have race? a racetrack
0: in Georgia. Yeah, they have one. Where? I mean, I know they got car racing. Kentucky Derby. No, yeah, they're out on the weekend. It's good. They're still in all the hotels. You got to go to Louisville, Kentucky. To I do. Uh, I used to. You 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 play the I horses. To. I used to. You used so to. Thinking for about yeah. fifteen years. Like fifteen years. Every year, I won every year. Oh, you just went to the
1: Kentucky Derby. Yeah, to the Kentucky. Oh,
0: I thought you played the horses. You were addicted. <laughs> no, it's
1: Derby day. I just played one race. How did
0: you get the tickets? I went to the Derby. Are you just going to buy it? I physically. No, but I mean you don't need to buy it. it's not like the masters where no one can get tickets, right?
1: Oh you can get tickets and really what what, what we did uh, is we would get tickets on the infield. And then after a while it was like we would just go in and buy the tickets because when are in the infield, you're you can't, in the center of the track. You can't and see all you, see, you get a better view on TV. You know, so all you see is through that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, the horses so so, if I wanna to go to the Kentucky Derby, how do I, what should I do? Now it's like about 50 bucks to get in but when I was You get a seat though? to go to the infield. Take your own chair, you don't have a But you say that's you can't, can't see? That's the that's the You can't see
0: for 50 bucks?
1: No, it's like why go? So I just will go in, one person go in, make all the bets. Mm. So you can you go see Georgia to
0: State to play, play, play. play at seven tonight for free.
1: you all the plays tonight? What are they playing? <laughs> <See all> the <laughs> so I'm so
0: Yes. And you can go for free tonight. Right after class, you can get yourself you can get a fifty yard line seat for free. <laughs> next game. game's six months from now. Oh really? Yeah.
1: Like I i out of touch. <laughs> but you know your horses. We a horses. <laughs>
0: Sometimes animals have more rights than human beings when you read chapters like this one. In <laughs> anyway, okay, so um, some people are stateless. What does it mean to say someone is stateless? They don't
1: have a home.
0: Don't have a home. No, that's homeless
1: that's right that's
0: right you're three for three you're doing great stateless is someone who can't prove you're a citizen of a state so one of the big problems for refugees whether you're, you're inside your country when you're outside your country you're trying to get asylum is you know you left if you don't have papers you're stateless because you can't prove who you are Sometimes that's an advantage because if you're a murderer and they want to get you for all the murders you did in your country, you can say, "You got the wrong guy. You can't prove it's me because I don't. I can't prove it's me." And then you person will usually get an alter ego and change their name, and uh, they go to the mafia and they get a fake identity papers and so forth. But you know, if you get caught with a forged passport, then you go to prison for four or five years. A lot of people are wandering around town with false passports, though. I don't know how.
1: Did you see the um, lady on the news? She had. She was an illegal immigrant. and she got felony charges for using someone else's identity to get a job at um, a rehab or like a psych ward. But it's funny how I had an ex. One of my my ex. He um, worked at Jason Zellie. He was manager over there, and they hired illegal immigrants. Your ex boyfriend. Yeah. Or
0: girl. or husband.
1: Oh, ex boyfriend. Um, I he, never heard
0: that before for boyfriends. Really.
1: Well, it's very recent. Anyways. I um, apologize. I just never heard it
0: in that context.
1: Jason's Deli, like, hires illegal immigrants knowingly, and then this one lady, her the social security card that she used, like, came up with an alert, so they had to fire her, and she came back that afternoon with a different one, and they retired her. Why yeah. she's
0: supposed to be a good worker. Yeah. Okay, there are people who are stateless in the world because the government refuses to recognize them as citizens. So for example, if you're ethnic Turk, Turkish from Turkey, and your grandparents came to Germany to work as a guest worker, and and they were there legally, many of the Turks are are still not citizens of Germany. And because they were born in Germany, they're not citizens of Turkey either. Um, There's legislation being proposed in the United States, since it's statute, it's not in the Constitution, That if you're born in the United States, you're a citizen. There's legislation to say if your parents are illegal and you're born here, you're not legal. Um, A lot of even though it's illegal to fly here in the last month of pregnancy, a lot of people fly here. You know, eight months and less, and then they're here. That's the child is born here as a citizen. But if they change the law and those people are not citizens and they come from a country where you have to be born in that country to be a citizen there, that person is stateless. The Kurds were stateless. The Jews were stateless uh, during World War II. The Kurds under Saddam were also stateless in Iran, Iraq, and Turkey, because they regarded as not accepting to be Turks in Turkey, Iranian and Iran, and Iraqi in Iraq. And so that also makes it difficult to prove that you have a well-founded fear of persecution because you, you're not a citizen of anything. Yes, oh, bless you, there's a yeah. question. Um, now one of the biggest problems is how do you advocate for human rights for refugees if nobody will, will, will defend their human rights? Well, in a functioning a democracy, they need to have a functioning legal system with enough lawyers. Even in our country, it's incredibly hard to get people to, to get their human rights respected. As I said. If you happen to be applying in Georgia, it's a much harder time than if you're applying in California. If you apply in Greece, only 2% get granted asylum. If you apply in Sweden or or, uh, Norway or Denmark, it's 90%. So how does it work in the United States? If someone is here illegally uh, and they get arrested for a crime Because they're not a citizen and they have no papers to prove they're here illegally, they're put into detention. When the person is put in detention and they've committed a crime, unless they can prove that they have a well-founded fear of persecution, in a matter of a couple of minutes, or at least have a basis for it, they get scheduled for deportation and they're gone. And the US government's position is, if you are deported, the whole family goes with you. So the first person says, you know but my kids are, are citizens, they were born here, and they usually are, and they said, well, you gotta go, your kids can, your kids can stay because they're citizens, but you gotta go. But you'll have to put your kids into foster care. So that's how it works in the United States, in most states. If you haven't committed a felony, but you live in Cobb County and Gwinnett, or even accused of it, they can arrest you under the Patriot Act as under suspicion of being a terrorist and even though you've got nothing to do with being a terrorist, uh, all they have to do is say, I think you're a terrorist, they put you in detention, and again, even though you're not even arrested for committing any crime whatsoever, you, if you can't prove that you have a well-founded fear of persecution, if you get deported, you're deported. If you have qualified for being an asylee or you qualified for being a refugee, Let's say you're in Iraq, you're a Kurd, the government's trying to kill you because the Kurds are always trying to escape from Iraq or Iran or Turkey. You go, you escape to Turkey, you go to the Turkish office of UNHCR, you apply for a refugee, they qualify you as a refugee, they give you temporary protective status in Turkey and the UNHCR tries to find a government to take you, they get the United States to take you and you come to the United States. You work here for 25 years, you got grandchildren, and then you smoke some weed. You get put in detention. Unless you can prove you have, still have a well founded fear of, of, of persecution, you're deported. No more grandchildren, no more nothing. The wife says, it was nice, bye-bye. The wife doesn't get deported, necessarily. Uh, sometimes the wife gets deported also. But if you've been here 25 years, you're smart to apply for citizenship, or at least a green card. You're a citizen, you definitely can't be deported, but then if you're committed a crime, you go to prison. Yes?
1: I was gonna say, I mean, I might have missed some of the of scenario, but I know they have somewhere, if you marry somebody over here. Doesn't, doesn't matter.
0: You marry somebody, you marry a, a woman, and, and you get a green card. Unless you have become a citizen, even with the green card, is that right? I'm not sure if a green card protects you or not, but. Let's say you haven't gotten a green card yet. You're married to an American. It's actually, let's assume it's a real marriage, it's not a fake marriage. You get arrested for a, a felony, you're gone. She can go with you if, if, if the other government will take it. Most women won't, I think, unless they really love you. But some women will love you if you're being deported to Sweden, if you're being deported to Botswana I, I'm not sure about... I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the law that well. I know a citizen, they can't deport you.
1: Okay, but if you have a green card, it does not mean
0: you I, I think if you're a green card, it does not protect you. Okay. But you'd have to ask an immigration lawyer. Okay. You might be able to go to online.
1: Well, they married people for like
0: $5,000. Yeah, well, fraudulent marriage won't keep you from being deported if you're caught either. They
1: have to prove it's fraudulent. Well, if you're not
0: living with her... Of course, that describes a lot of American marriages. Um, Is there repercussions for a woman who marries Are you gonna do it for money? No.
1: <laughs> I, I was just wondering. These are jokes, I just, by the way. Oh, <laughs> I,
0: um, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know whether it's a crime. Then I'm sure there are repercussions in that it's an illegal marriage. And if it's a legal marriage, then you may not get claim to half of his stuff. May not want half of his <laughs> junk, um, but yeah. As a matter of fact, if it's an illegal marriage and you divorce, and that person has more assets than you, and and you were part of the conspiracy, you may you may not be entitled to anything. For all I know, um, the typical thing actually is someone who's very poor agrees to do it. Uh, then the person, if the person wants to get married, then they got a divorce, and ho- then you know, it, you never find the person who got married to get in the first place. But the State Department will not give you a visa just because you're marrying an American and you're in Karachi and you're going to come to Atlanta. Um, they're less suspicious if you f- meet someone here and you want to legalize it. It's more plausible that it's genuine. If you're an American citizen and you marry someone in a foreign country they may not get a visa even though it's a you claim it's a legitimate marriage just the way it works Um, but you know if you go back typically they'll let your your spouse come back with you all right if if you want to apply for asylum the normal procedure is to make an appointment with with a refugee officer in the department of homeland security and you get your appointment if you've um, applying for asylum and you're here uh, and you just come forward, you're taking a chance, unless you think you've got an open and shut case, uh, because if you get, you're living here, you got here somehow, you go apply for asylum and they say no, then you get deported. So the question is why would anyone ever apply for asylum? Well the more typical way of getting asylum is you come to the airport you go through immigration and you say I'm applying for asylum, and then you're entitled to an appointment with a refugee officer. They have a choice of whether to put you in detention or to let you go and have you show up. Typically, at the airport they put you in detention, and then detention is one of three places in Georgia, or for for people from who arrive in Atlanta. Either get sent to ACDC with jail, but usually they don't put you with the criminal wing. They put you with the detention wing. So you. You may have someone in there who is an illegal immigrant who's in there because they did a drug deal. But the typical person who's been who's lost their asylum or their status, who's been put into ACDC, is somebody who did a quote unquote victimless crime. Not a crime of violence, but a drug sale. But a you know, drug sale will get you deported, um, especially in the last 20 years when they've cracked down on drug sales so much. Um, I did have a case of two students from Afghanistan at Agnes Scott College, and they converted to Christianity um, at the Presbyterian Church, First Presbyterian Church here on Peachtree. And their parents said, we love you, but don't come back because we can't acknowledge you because in Afghanistan, anyone who renounces Islam is a criminal, and it'll probably have to be an honor killing, and also we're not safe, so we don't want you to come back. Um, so they applied for asylum just to legalize their status in the United States. And they got it, and they got it without a trial. They got it just with the ref- refugee asylum hearing with the refugee officer of the Department of Homeland Security. But let's say you're in detention after arrest, or you're in detention um, because you showed up in the airport and you asked for asylum. And let's say the refugee officer, if you're in detention, the first stage normally is a closed circuit TV interview with an immigration judge, and you, t- you give the story. And if the story sounds like it's possible, then you get a trial. It's not a full due process trial like a civil or criminal trial. It's administrative law. If any of you go to law school, you'll learn that administrative law is a lot more discretion. If you ever go to one of these cases, take place down in immigration court, you can see that the judge you know, gets really bored and starts playing his toy and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, you don't have like, protection against hearsay evidence, and you, lawyers can act like Perry Mason and all this kind of thing. And the judge says, I would advise you not to go further because if you don't go further, you will get what you want. You never see that in a normal trial. So it's much more loose in these kind of things. Part of it is because the docket is so enormous. And as it is, they always gotta reschedule and delay hearings. I get two recent cases I was involved with got delayed a year and a half. It's a long time to spend in detention. It's not so bad if you're out. Free, and it just scheduled because you applied for asylum. But if you're in detention, that's a long wait. And if you're in Etowah, Alabama or Stewart Correction Center run by the Cor- Corrections Corporation of America, you have fewer rights than a prison. It's not as bad as a jail jail, but it sure isn't nice. And all kinds of people have died in detention, immigrant detention. Edwige Danticat, a famous Haitian novelist, her uncle died in detention because they didn't get, she didn't, he didn't get medical care in time. Other people, you don't, you you know, because basically it's run by a for profit company. It's not in their interest to spend money to help you. So if they're sick, they'll say, oh, go to the nurse. But if you need acute medical care, uh, maybe they'll call an ambulance, but it's up to the hospital where they take care of you. But, you know, it's really a bad system, I think, because a lot of people there, no one, no one is in there typically has been convicted of a crime because once you're convicted, you're deported. That's it. And you get deported right away. They don't waste any time. If you go to an actual trial, you have no right to a lawyer because it's not a criminal trial. Um, there are places, and you can any of you can intern there, such as GAIN, which is the aso- Georgia Asylum and Integration Network. If you want to do an, an internship there, come see me. And you will work on the legal cases of these people who have typically a well-founded fear of persecution. They're trying to get through so You help write the expert testimony. You try to arrange a lawyer to give his or her time for free because typically the detainee doesn't have any money. And then hopefully you win your case and then you feel good about yourself because then the person is out. And usually these are model immigrants who have incredibly high upward mobility Now, the Department of Homeland Security is the new agency created after 9-11 under the Bush administration, and its principal goal is to stop terrorism. That's why it was created. After the invasion of Iraq in 2003, the chapter said there were five million people out of 20 million who fled Iraq because of the violence. A lot of them were Sunnis because Saddam ran a minority government in Iraq. He was a Sunni, but Shias were the majority. The Mashi- 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 has got power and they started murdering a lot of Sunnis. And the Sunnis were rebelling against the US occupation because um, they had a good under Saddam and they wanted the Americans to get out. The Kurds to the north were pretty safe. But, so most of these were Sunnis from S- in the Central Triangle near Baghdad, and the large majority of the Sunnis flew to Jordan and Syria, where there are also a lot of Sunnis. The United States refused to take many Iraqis after the invasion of Iraq, even though obviously they were fleeing for their life. Why didn't the United States allow them to get refugee status in the US embassies in Jordan and Syria? After all, we, we caused the problem, didn't we? If we hadn't invaded Iraq, the Sunnis were safe. Because Saddam favored the Sunnis. So why wouldn't we take them? Didn't they have a well-founded fear of persecution? They were getting murdered by Shia. What, yes, but what is the politics? Oh, um,
1: well, Americans don't
0: want, to, want them to come the U.S. because they're so angry about 9-11. But 9-11 wasn't caused by Saddam. You right on the, you're, You had very good instincts there. You're right on the money. I'm pleased with the, the train of thought, but I actually gave you the political reason. After all, isn't it our fault? Yes, that's the reason we won't take no. them. We don't want to admit it was our fault. We don't want to admit that there are any people in Iraq who don't feel wonderful and happy that we liberated them from Saddam, because now they're better off, right? Wrong. Um, Now, over time, we started to take a few more Iraqis, but not as many as you would expect. So is it fair that Jordan and Syria and Lebanon have had to take all these um, refugees from Iraq? So what has the United States done? We've built paid UNHCR to take them and put them in refugee camps, but they're not all in camps. They're actually better off. They're being integrated into the countries, and a lot of these people were highly educated, middle-class people, and they're not as much of a burden on the country, but still, there are not enough jobs to go around. In the long run, they might contribute greatly to the economy, but for the moment, it's a very, very tough situation. How about Somalia? What happened there? In 1991, the war broke out. Al Qaeda, as it turns out, was fighting in the tribal warfare. Muhammad Adid killed American soldiers in Black Hawk Down flying Apache helicopters. Everyone heard hear of that situation, where they dragged the American body through the streets? I think I showed you the f- slide of it on, on an earlier class. They haven't had a stable government for 20 years. Afghanistan hasn't had a stable government since 1978, 79 when the Soviets invaded. They've had 42 years of war. So countries that are failed states like Somalia and Afghanistan are mills of refugees into the adjoining countries. Every time there's a new government in Somalia, some of them like the Islamic courts only lasted six months because the Ethiopian army invaded. And then Ethiopia tried to tr- create a new government, and that government was overthrown. And now they got another government, and each one of these governments are f- primarily interested in just staying in power, and they get in power through smuggling. And what do you think these governments are involved with that we talked about in a prior class? Pirating. Pirating, you got it, you, you hit the bullet, the bullet. These governments go into power so they can become pirates because they make millions of dollars off these settlements. And Somalia, although there's a Somaliland that's independent on the northern coast, Somalia goes through the Red Sea, through the Gulf of Aden, and down the Indian Ocean. So they got a huge amount of coastline. And they can go far, far away and take out a big oil tanker or some other big shipping container ship that's got cargo that's worth a billion dollars. And so paying $5 million ransom is a nice little cost of doing business. But you know it takes three months to negotiate because it, they ask for 100 million and the owner offers 50 cents. And they go back and forth a dozen times until they get close to the, the current price. So the governments in Somalia are not interested in stopping the war because if they stopped the war, then they would have to worry about doing something good for their people. So they, their main contention is how to stay in power and continue smuggling Uh, pirating, and all the other types of trafficking that they're engaged in. In Afghanistan, it's even worse. 42 years of you-know-what. Prior to 9-11, there were 5 million Afghans in Pakistan and Iran. And the book is wrong. The book's made a couple mistakes in this chapter. But they said that after the United States liberated Afghanistan, just like it liberated Iraq... 5 million Afghan refugees were able to come back home for the first time in history. Is that what really happened? They did go home. Did they go home voluntarily because the Taliban government was overthrown? What happened was these governments, especially Iran, which had millions of Afghan refugees from the previous war with the Soviet Union and the civil wars after the Soviets were knocked out in the 90s, said, oh no, the United States is going to invade Afghanistan. We're going to get even more Afghan refugees. Well, we're going to discourage any more from coming. So we're kicking all these refugees out. So Iran got rid of their refugees. It's not that they were liberated and they got back to go to their home because it was safe. For the first time in history, they were booted out of Mashhad in eastern Iran because the Iranian government said, get out of here. We don't want any more Afghan refugees. So while it's true it was the largest number of refugees able to return in world history, they weren't really returning voluntarily. In fact, they were returning quite involuntarily. Yes?
1: When
0: did you say they had to return, after what? No, it, it, after 9-11, we had 10-7, okay. was it? I think the first week, about three weeks after 9-11, we invaded Afghanistan. Okay. And in that three-week period, the government of Iran realized that the United States was going to be attacking So prior to the US invasion, or soon thereafter, they kicked all of the Afghan refugees out of eastern Iran. So you can see that it's kind of like torture. Refugees are incredibly vulnerable. They're not in a single room under detention being tortured, but they have a living hell, as it were, because they're walking down a street they're subject to disease. If they get to a camp, if it doesn't have good humanitarian relief services, contagious diseases are everywhere, beginning with you know, unclean water caused by bad sanitation. Do you know what the biggest killer in the world is?
1: Not washing your
0: hands. Well, more generally, sanitation. In, in, in the West, it's not washing your hands because we have good sanitation. But the cholera that you get in countries like Haiti comes about from People don't boil the water. That is where they defecate. And the cholera thing gets in there too. It gets imported in there. And then you know, people cook with it, they drink the water with it, they wash their clothes with it, and they get sick from it. Well, in a refugee camp, if it's not near a river or the river's not clean or people are not, they don't have the means to boil the water or put pure dots, you know, pieces of medicine in there to purify the water that they drink, they're going to get sick. Plus, you've got all these people in very close proximity. I mean you're talking about the most concentrated quantity of people in the world. you know we talk about you know certain cities like New York being really quali- you know a million and a half people just in Manhattan. Well if you have 10,000 people in a squatter camp and the average squatter camp or refugee camp in Haiti is a result of the earthquake, has ten thousand? That the camp that um, who's the Sean Penn runs on the former country club in Petionville, that has fifty thousand people. Uh, granted, it's a whole golf course, but they got fifty thousand people on a golf course, and they're all pooping. And never mind it's the same latrine. But before they had lutri- latrines, you know, they all w- went to the nearest place. And you know, if you put it in the stream, at least it's all in one place, away from everything else. But if it's just around the other tent, that stuff is right there contaminating the neighborhood as well. So it's really important to have nurses and doctors and medical supplies in addition to having food in these camps. But worst of all is that it becomes a lifestyle. You've got five huge countries with refugees who've been there for decades. The government will never let them get out. It's still too dangerous to go home And the UNHCR says, well, we've got to keep them alive, and the US government, or some other government like Japan, will provide the money to pay for the NGOs to be hired by UNHCR to provide the relief services. And so you start off with a million and a half Palestinians, and now you've got four and a half million Palestinians. 50 years later, three quarters of them are in camps with free handouts without jobs. Are they doing them a service? Well, when Jordan occupied Palestine prior to 1968, they said you could only go into camps. Now that Israel occupies a good part of the West Bank, they leave the camps alone to the UN, but they don't make it easy for them to get jobs, which makes them extremely angry, and they get mad at Israel, and some of them become terrorists. At a time when now 45% of the West Bank is occupied, and they're trying to negotiate an end to the occupation, within the next six months, which is the deadline that the Israelis and the Palestinians are giving each other to resolve this conflict, there's not much terrorism going on in the West Bank, except in the refugee camps. The terrorists come from the refugee camps. The rest of the Palestinians in the West Banks have jobs. They're not doing great, but they're doing a heck of a lot better than the people in the camps who don't have a regular job. The, the, where What is terrorist comes from? It comes from unemployed youth who've got no job prospects, who've got nothing to lose by suicidal terrorism. I can be promised to have 50 vessel virgins or whatever it is in the next life if I blow myself up, or I can stay alive and suffer. Most people wouldn't commit suicide, but a few will, especially if you believe the bargain. Or maybe you don't believe the bargain, maybe you're just depressed. You know, people commit suicide. Well, why not take a few down with you? It's a scary phenomenon. Even women, we say even women, just because originally all the suicidal bombers were men, but now, in the last 15 years, women are suicidal bombers. And many of them are mothers. It's hard enough to understand how a lot of suicidal bombers are fathers, but usually you assume mothers are attached to their kids. But mothers do it, too. All right, just to conclude then, um, in order to understand this problem of the world dealing with refugees, we see that the refugees are not only a source of uh, terrible tragedy, but they are a cause of major problems. They're a great concern to rich countries because they don't want a lot of refugees coming in, like uh, Italy currently complaining about Libyans, Tunisians, and Egyptians coming in from those crises now especially Libya, from the fighting that's going on there. And it's a terrible tragedy for terrorism because people who stay in refugee camps end up being extremely frustrated and angry and want to get out of their situation. And enough of them can be manipulated to blame a scapegoat and commit terrorist acts against the enemy. So obviously, the solution to these refugee crises is the political problems that causes the war in these adjoining countries, but unfortunately we don't have a magic bullet, as it were, to end the use of bullets. What we have is peace settlements and ceasefires that last a couple of months, a couple of weeks, or even a couple of years, but at least half of them start up again because there's still structural unemployment, ethnic hatred, uh, perceptions of occupation, and so forth. And some some of the cases that have had uh, endless strife and struggle going on for decades like Somalia, like Afghanistan have been a source of some of the worst drug trafficking and terrorist acts that the world have ever seen and so solving the r- refugee crisis is not just humanitarianism, it's all in our enlightened self-interest to figure out what's going on so they don't blow us up. Okay, thanks very much and I'll see you next week for our final week of class. Don't forget to Post your question or your film title if you haven't done so already.